okay, you're really not just doing this for you. Other people out there are listening to this. Other people out there are being affected by it. And that's there's really nothing more motivating than that. Welcome to the Lions of Liberty podcast. Here is your host, your guide, your shining beacon of liberty, Mark Clare. Hello once again, my friends and fans. You have found yourself here at the Lions of Liberty podcast, and this is episode number 94. Before we get into today's show, I want to take a second to let you know about Health Excellence Select, an amazing alternative to Obamacare, which utilizes health sharing to cover your medical costs. That's Health Excellence Select. For more information, head over to lionsofliberty.com slash health. Many of you may have heard my recent interview, at least any of you that subscribe to this show likely have. Episode 93, if you haven't heard it yet, you can just tick back in your iTunes feed or come on over to lionsofliberty.com slash podcast for the full podcast archive. But that last episode was an interview I did with an amazing man named Michael Santos, who spent 26 years in prison for the crime of selling cocaine in his early 20s. And many people would be destroyed by this. Many people would have their lives completely ruined, would give up all hope. But Michael Santos did the opposite, and he educated himself. He earned a bachelor's degree. He earned a master's degree. He wrote seven books on the U.S. prison system, and he developed an amazing support network. And now he's out of prison, and he is creating a support network for all the other people out there that are dealing with these issues. People that are in prison. People that might be facing prison. Now, my goal, my goal is to see as many people kept out of prison as possible, other than maybe the worst of the worst of society, the rapists, the murderers, the killers. And one thing we always focus on at Lions of Liberty on this podcast are victimless crimes, you know? The the biggest one, of course, being the war on drugs. How many people go to jail? How many people are behind bars for insane amounts of times simply for selling something to someone else who wanted that substance? And our goal is to change the laws, but there are a lot of people who, who are already affected by those laws. Michael Santos was one of them, and he's got a great story. Like I said, you can click back to the, the last episode and hear it, but the reason I'm talking about it again the next episode is because as soon as I hung up with Michael Santos and finished my interview, this guy had the gall <laughs> to ask to interview me. So he actually interviewed me for his show, The Earning Freedom Podcast. It was a really enjoyable interview. I got to talk about how the Lions of Liberty were first formed, why it is we do what we do, how we started our website, our podcast, and I figured this would be something that people out there might want to hear if they haven't heard it before. We've written a little bit about it before, but this was a very tight, concise interview. He's an amazing guy, an amazing host, and I want to share that with you guys today. So without further ado, I present to you Mark Clare, me, on the Earning Freedom Podcast with Michael Santos. Welcome to the Earning Freedom Podcast. I'm Michael Santos, your host, and today I am excited to present with you Mark Clare. He is the founder of Lions of Liberty, a podcasting service that helps people understand how we can improve our government and our American life. Now, that's my take on it. I'd much rather you hear about it from Mark. So, Mark, why don't you tell us a little bit about your story? Tell us about your journey. And if you don't mind, I'm going to interrupt a few times to ask some questions that helps people understand how you relate to the Earning Freedom Network. Welcome. 
Thanks, Michael. Thanks for having me on. I really do appreciate it. And, you know, feel free to interrupt away because I don't know if I'm that interesting. And, you know, when I do my interviews, I get to uh, I get to interrupt my guests, but I let them do most of the talking. So if you want to interrupt me, by all means, please go for it. But, you know, m- my journey uh, is nothing special. I, nothing tragic happened to me in life like like it sort of did to you when you were sentenced to 26 years in prison, uh, as we talked about on my own show recently. But, you know, I think at some point in my early, maybe even in my teens, I started just to sort of question the way the world is, uh, question why things really are the way they are. I would, I wouldn't say I would get into political debates with my parents, but my parents were very into, uh, especially my dad listening to AM talk radio, always had political stuff on. It was either that or oldies with him, one or the other. And, and whenever the political stuff would come on, I, I would always ask questions. You know, I didn't really have a, a political philosophy of my own or anything, but I would be inquisitive and I would ask, you know, why is this thing a law? Why does this have to be a law? Why is this politician saying this? So uh, I would always continually ask why. This is something my dad actually told me. And, and I, I actually got to interview my dad for my own show once, which was cool. But um, and he told me that I always used to ask why. And I always used to I wouldn't just accept the first answer. I would continue to ask why over and over until I finally felt like I was getting a satisfactory answer to a question. So I, I think that's just something that's born in all of us that that I mean, when we're babies and we pop out of the womb, we're literally crawling around trying to figure out what's happening and why. Why things are happening. And as we develop mentally and develop intellectually, I think that spirit is within us all. And it's something that we have to uh, to never lose, because once we lose that, we stop questioning things. We stop questioning politicians. We stop questioning society's institutions. We stop questioning the way things are. Well, that's when society just stagnates and, and things get worse and not better. And and. I've seen a lot of injustice in the world. I mean, even just your story alone is an example of some injustice, even though you did commit a crime and you did serve a sentence that was handed down to you. There's a lot of injustice within that system and within the system that you went through. And I see this stuff everywhere in the world. And I was personally inspired, I would say, um, even before 2008 by Ron Paul, uh, who I'm sure you're familiar with and many of your listeners will have heard of at this point, uh, being a fairly national figure. But I actually started reading his writing in, in the year 2000 when a good friend of mine in college who was he was a congressional page in high school. And, you know, he wasn't really impressed with most of the politicians he met, but he was impressed with this one guy he met, Ron Paul. And he would actually go into his office and just have chats with this guy, this congressman, and just talk about stuff and talk about libertarianism and talk about these ideas. And, um, you know, my friend Howie, he told me, you got you got to read this guy, Ron Paul. He's just great. So I started reading his column back in 2000. And I didn't even think of him as a, a politician, even though he was he was a congressman. I, I just thought of him as a good thinker and, and someone who I enjoyed reading their writing. And it was just so different than the mainstream political thought that was out there at the time. So, you know, when he announced for president in 2007, I was like, whoa, whoa, this guy who's writing I followed is actually going to run for president. Um, so that was what really got the ball rolling, I think, for my my more outspokenness politically and and my desire to really launch forward and, and be as outspoken as Dr. Paul was about the injustices that he saw in the world. One of the things that I spoke about and I frequently talk about is I attribute the transformation in my life to the story of Socrates, who said that in a democracy, we all have the right to work toward changing laws we don't agree with, but we don't have the right to break laws. And that certainly gave me an enormous level of energy to sustain the 9,500 days that I served in prison. But I really see you as doing the same thing in a different way. I mean, you didn't break any laws. You saw areas in society that you didn't like. 
you've really taken the bull by the horns and said, I am going to work to change these laws. And you did it by launching Lions of Liberty. That's something that I would like to inspire my listeners to do. Could you tell us the birth of Lions of Liberty, how you got it growing? And then I'd like to ask you some questions about where it's gone since you've launched it. Absolutely. So we'll have to tick back the clock back to my college days for a second, because that is really where it originated, even though nobody realized it at the time. But uh, I was in a fraternity in college at Penn State. That is where the lion comes from. It's the Nittany Lion from from that's where the Lion of Lions of Liberty uh, originates from. And I made a lot of good friends in college, a lot of which I, I kept in touch with. Uh, one of my good friends, Brian McWilliams, is uh, lives out here in Los Angeles, where I live now. So we reconnected a couple years after college since he also lived out here to uh, to pursue a writing career and a public relations career. And I was moving out here to pursue a career in television production. So uh, we reconnected out here and, you know, we would have political debates from time to time. Nothing too serious. Um, but again, Again, when we fast forward back to 2007 and the announcement of the Ron Paul campaign, well, as he became an outspoken political figure, I also became outspoken politically in pretty much all aspects of my life, whether it was at work or with my friends. And I just really couldn't shut up about this guy. And it was never about the guy. It was about the ideas. But I was very outspoken, and you you pretty much knew me as the Ron Paul guy at that point. I, I don't even think we had Facebook yet. I might have been on MySpace at the time, uh, which you know passed you by in your, in your time behind bars. Uh, and I think it's, I think that's okay. But um, you know, I was always posting things about Ron Paul, posting speeches of him, and um, you know, it, it became clear that I was the guy to go to talk to about this. And then you know, one day, I just noticed that Brian, my friend, had also posted this this speech and said, "Hey, you really got to listen to this guy." And I was like, "Wait." A minute someone actually you know took interest in something i posted because for a while i just felt like i was doing it for my own health like you know I, it wasn't facebook where you post something and you get 100 likes you don't really know who's who's engaging with what you're putting out there so just to see that one of my good friends had engaged with it was very um very inspiring and, and gave me hope okay maybe i should start keep talking about this stuff uh since at least inspire one person to, to do it as well and we wrote about this story on our website um i'll send you the link and uh, to our to our entire tale but um basically another friend of mine, uh, John Odermatt, we he he was out here in California, living in Riverside for about a year, and we met up at a bar one day to kick back and talk about old times, and and somehow we got into that political debate, and here I was talking about uh, you know how I was against what was going on in Iraq, and I was against all the the stuff overseas that I saw going on. I saw a lot of injustice there, and he just assumed that since I was anti-war, I must be a, a liberal, I must be a progressive, I must be supporting uh, Barack Obama or Hillary Clinton. So he was shocked to learn that I was really supporting a Republican because uh, he was a Republican as well and he supported the Iraq war. He supported George W. Bush. He supported all these things and yet here I am also supporting a Republican. So he started to think, wait a minute, something isn't adding up here. This is very odd. This doesn't go with the, the standard political left-right paradigm that I'm so used to hearing. So we, we had a really good conversation. I think I don't think I you know turned him overnight or anything but it got the wheels turning and one other friend of ours, Dom Sedoti, the, the three of us were all together one time and he came out to, to hang out with us once. And, and again, the, the subject turned to politics. And before you know it, the four of us are all starting to talk about this stuff. And even once we parted ways and, and went our different ways in life, we, we kept in touch via email and, and the chain kind of grew. We called it the Liberty Chain, where we would talk about these ideas. And you know, every week they would say, oh, I'm adding this friend of mine to the Liberty Chain because he's interested in this stuff too. And the next week, someone else would get added. And the, the email chain would just get bigger and bigger uh, to the point we had like 20, 30 people on this sort of political email chain. Um, and we, we did that for years. I mean, it wasn't even a thought to go more public than that. 
Uh, but at one point, it was really, I think, early in the 2011 campaign when Ron Paul was running for president once again. And we were sending all these long emails back and stuff, these rants toward each other. At some time, um, I don't even remember which one of us brought up the idea, but it was like, why don't we just put this out there in the public? Why don't we start a blog? Why don't we start a website? Because it's great to talk to each other about this stuff, but we have all this technology. If we're already taking the time to type it out, we may as well share it with the world. So uh, the Lions of Liberty name just kind of came up. It seemed natural. We were Penn State. We were Nittany Lions, and uh, we like Liberty. So the name just came together, and you know that that's kind of what got the ball rolling. So do you said it started as a blog and then it advanced into yeah. a podcast? Well, yeah, yeah. It started just as a basic WordPress blog. It was, you know, not impressive looking uh, at all. And uh, it was it was solely a blog for over two. Well, it was solely a blog for about six months. And then a friend of ours came up to us and said, hey, you guys, you need, you need a better looking site. So he just decided to design us a website out of, out of his own um, his own his own goodwill. Our, our friend Tommy John Gaio, if I, I love to plug him. TommyJohnStudios.com. He's great with web design. Uh, he does weddings. He does so many things. So if anybody needs anything at all, talk to Tommy John, TommyJohnStudios.com. But you know, he just up and designed us this website. So since then, it was just the LionsOfLiberty.com website. And then I, the podcast just seemed a natural extension to me because I, I had become a fan of podcasts. I, I, I'm, I'm, in the, I'm in the car a lot. I do a lot of work where I can kind of have some headphones in and listen to things. And I, I have two Huskies that I walk for an hour every day. So I had a lot of time to to listen to stuff and I became a real fan of the podcast format um, and, and I figured I couldn't be the only one out there that, that was also a fan of the podcast format so I just decided it seemed like a natural extension to me to just you know we have this website you may as well start a podcast too so one day I literally just decided to um I was actually discussing the concept of intellectual property with someone via email, uh, Stefan Kinsella, and, and I asked him a couple of questions, and he just said, well, you know, it would be really easier instead of a, a back and forth if I just, you know, hop on Skype and talk about it with you. And I, I said, okay, well, that's great. And I said, hmm, all right, I'm already interviewing somebody now suddenly, you know, just out of nowhere, so I, I guess I'm going to hit record, too, and call up my first edition of my podcast. So that that's really how it came together. It was an idea for some time, and then it took a guest, a guest I didn't even know would become my first guest to suggest that we talk on Skype. And once I knew we were talking on Skype, I, it was just a matter of recording the conversation and launching it out there. And that's literally about all I did for the first podcast. Um, I didn't really think about having a launch plan or thinking about marketing or or think about and any of the technical aspects. All I really knew was I'm talking to this guy. Um, I want to do a podcast vaguely, so I'm just going to do it. And, and that's really the biggest thing. There's, there's so many. Uh, the biggest lesson I guess I would take from my journey is, you know, you can plan all day long. You can plan to have the perfect looking website. I still don't think our website is what I want it to be. Uh, you can plan the perfect podcast. I'm still trying to figure out exactly what my podcast needs to be on, on, you know, on the very specific technical level. But at some point, and it might take someone else, it might take someone on the other end saying, hey, why don't we just talk on Skype for that light bulb to go off and say, okay, I'm just going to record this and we're going to do it. And, you know, that, that, that's what I would recommend to people who are even thinking about having some way to speak out, whether it's a, a website, a blog, a podcast, at some point, just do it. And, you know, and, and once you do it, you, you find your motivation and, and uh, the amount you're willing to put into it just increase exponentially, especially as you start to get feedback from people, as you start to find once again, like I did when I saw my friend repost that speech, you realize at some point, okay, you're really not just doing this for you. Other people out there are listening to this. Other people out there are being affected by it. And that's, there's really nothing more motivating than that. As, as you know, as well, Michael, once you realize what your work is having an impact on people, uh, it just, it just inspires you and motivates you that much more. 
more. Well, when you, you, as you likely know, back in the, I remember when I was in prison, I read this book by John Adams. It was a biography of John Adams, and they spoke about the uh, Alien and Sedition Act, where it was once a felony to speak out against the government. And really, it was just, I think that's an era of our, of our country's history that would make many Americans cringe, because the reality is it's people like you who spread awareness about, with different ideas and are eager to do so, and some people People may choose to just complain, uh, but others may choose to take action. And I'm looking at your Twitter page right now at Lions of Liberty, and you have more than 4,100 followers. So you have absolutely become somebody who is influencing other people. Tell us how you got there. You started the podcast. I'd love to hear about the growth that you've experienced, how you've taken it from just being a hobby to influencing thousands of people. Well, yeah, it's a slow process. At least it was for me. Uh, like I said, I didn't go into it with a launch plan. I didn't really have, I had ideas about what did I wanted to get from interviews. How did the launch go? You started with zero. Oh yeah. And now um, you're, now how many listeners do you have to your podcast now? As you know, as someone who just launched a podcast, it can be very difficult to determine the exact number of subscribers you have. But uh, most of my episodes will get between two and 3,000 listens on the podcast itself. Now, I recently launched a YouTube channel as well, and we're putting all the podcasts up on the YouTube channel as well. Um, What's we, the YouTube channel name so our listeners can, can it's check It's Lions it of Liberty. I would love to give you a URL, but until you reach a certain number of subscribers, URL that's like YouTube.com slash a bunch of random letters and numbers. I do aspire someday to have YouTube.com slash Lions of Liberty but we're not quite there yet. But, uh, you know, if some of your listeners hop on and subscribe, it'll, it'll get us there all the quicker. We'll do the um, best to make it happen. You said 2,000 people a day. That's pretty impressive. And now 4,000. Tell us about the ramp up, how long that took to get there. Sure. I mean, I, I, in many ways, I'd say we only got there in the last couple months because, as I said, I didn't really have a marketing plan, a launch strategy. Sure, we tweet out the podcast. Sure, we post it on Facebook. But that was about all we would do. And hey, it got decent traction. I mean, what you know, when you start with zero listeners, two listeners is awesome. You know, you, everything is awesome every step of the way. Um, it's only when you get a little spoiled that you get, you know, if, if I have an episode that's a little bit lower in, in numbers than the previous one, then I get all pouty for a minute. And I'm like, oh, why, why didn't everybody listen yet? And but in reality, if you told me a year ago that I was even getting anywhere close to that number of listeners, I would be completely thrilled and excited about it. So it's, it's all very relative. But you know, at some point I did realize, well, you know, hey, my favorite podcast that I listen to, uh, I listen to them because they're out on a regular schedule and I know when they're going to release. So at some point I said, OK, I need to actually decide on a day I'm going to release it and release it. Then at first I was just doing a podcast whenever I happen to do it and releasing it whenever I happen to finish it. Uh, and, and then I realized, you know, if I, if I actually want to build a listenership, it's interesting because I didn't start the podcast or the website in order to build a listenership or a readership per se. But at the same time, the more I put into it and, and then the more I put my own into it, it, it I think, well, why should I do this unless I'm going to try to get as many people as possible reading it? Why should I do this podcast unless I'm going to try to get as many people as possible listening to it? Because I don't do this for my own health. <laughs> as much as I enjoy doing it, and it does give me give me personal satisfaction to do, I'm not doing it you know, just, just for that reason. I'm doing it to change the world, as bold and lofty as that may be. Uh, you know, I think every single one of us has a role in changing the world. Every single one of us affects the lives of other people. 
And the more lives I can reach, the more ears I can reach, the more eyes I can reach, um, you know, reading the website and reading the, the things we're talking about. You know, we might not turn everybody overnight. We might not, everybody might not be, um, you know, a pure 100% libertarian. And that's okay. I don't need to necessarily change everyone's political views 100%, but you can still point out a lot of issues. Now, I have people that will still disagree with me on a, on a lot of things, but I can, can you pers- tell us about some of those areas where that are controversial or people will disagree with you? In the most difficult areas for libertarians to communicate, and I think a lot of this is because of libertarians, because of the people communicating them. And, and you know, we you sort of get to a point where you decide on something, and then you can't comprehend where people don't agree with you right away sometimes. You're like, how didn't you see this, this is so unjust? Uh, I think one example is something just like the FDA. Uh, now, most people just assume the FDA should exist. Obviously, obviously to them anyway, we need this regulatory body to control the food and drug industry, to test all the food and drugs for safety and to dictate what people should be eating or, or what sort of drugs they should be allowed to take and that kind of thing. And on the, on the surface, that's, that can be a very difficult thing to communicate why most libertarians would feel that there, that should not be an FDA because, you know, it, it, the, uh, the problem with the FDA is not that it, that testing exists or that people are looking out for the safety of food and drugs, I think that's extremely important. I think it's so important that we should not be entrusting it to a monopoly, a, a essentially coercive monopoly that the government just says, this is the one entity that will handle this whole thing. Uh, nobody else is allowed to do it. And you have to work within our framework. And if you don't, well, we're not going to you know, you know, prove your drug for market. And, you know, on the surface, maybe that seems to make sense to a lot of people. Um, if, if you're only going at it from the aspect of no FDA and then you stop there. But, you know, and, and I, I do try to do podcasts where I look into these issues more deeply because it can be hard to communicate things in a soundbite, even in a blog post. But maybe in a 40 minute conversation with an expert in the area, um, that can start to get people's minds going a little bit. And I recently spoke with um, a wonderful woman, Dr. Dr. Mary Ruart, who was actually a pharmaceutical scientist for 18 years. So she knows a lot about this stuff. Uh, and she's also a prominent libertarian who's incredibly opposed to the FDA. And, you know, one thing I talked about with her is it's not that third-party testing is bad. The FDA doesn't do any testing itself whatsoever. What they merely do is dictate the grounds and parameters that everyone else has to use for testing. And, uh, you know, she even described how a lot of times the testing, the actual testing that they did would be more intensive than the the tests that they were, you know, actually forced to do. But it was all the bureaucracy and all the paperwork and all the fact that you have to do trials for X amount of years that would prevent certain drugs from, A, ever getting to the marketplace in the first place, or some drugs would get there 10, 15 years later. Well, guess what? And when it comes to AIDS patients, when it comes to some people that might have certain types of cancers, 10, 15 years, that's a death sentence. So there are people's lives at stake here. And, you know, when I, when I see an entity such as the FDA literally killing people by not allowing them to get things they need, well, that really frustrates me and angers me. And, I, but you, you can't just be angry. You have to, you know, have a reasonable conversation about this stuff. And, and that's what I try to do on the podcast. I try to have a reasonable conversations with people and I try to really get these ideas across. And I, I think that's one issue where as opposed to when I talk about the war on drugs, that's an issue that every day I find easier to talk about. I think that's an issue where there's a, a definite cultural shift going on right now. And, um, I barely get any, and now maybe, maybe part of that's my audience. I, I think, you know, I'm, I'm a podcast on a website. It's, it's a younger skewing audience. Whereas, you know, if I talk to somebody in their sixties or seventies who isn't on the internet, they might still have the same views about the war on drugs that, that, you know, other people used to have 20 or 30 years ago. But that is an area where I see, 
see things shifting. Um, but I think that's just because that's an area where people are starting to just see the injustice more. They're, they're starting to see that, you know, a lot of people out there get help from marijuana on a medical level. Uh, many soldiers have PTSD and marijuana allows them to cope with it. Many people have different forms of cancer. Many people have anorexia, like a physical anorexia, not just, you know, trying to get skinny for the prom. There are people that have that as a disease and they don't have an appetite unless they smoke marijuana. So there are very obvious uh, medical needs for this. And this, this kind of comes back to the FDA because the FDA regulates all the testing. To this day, even while states are legalizing marijuana, both for medical use and for recreational use, if you want to do any kind of legal medical testing on marijuana, you need to go through the FDA for that. I, I interviewed a great guy, Brad Burge, of the organization MAPS. And um, they do amazing research on psychedelic drugs and how it can help people with mental disorders. Um, they do work with not only marijuana, but also with LSD. Uh, again, that's MAPS, the Multidisciplinary Association for Psychedelic Studies, a great organization. But you know, they do research into LSD, MDMA, and how those can help people in a therapeutic setting. And one thing that was very interesting to me from that interview was that despite all the legalization movements for marijuana that we see, the most difficult drug when it comes to paperwork, when it comes to bureaucracy, is marijuana still. They still have more hoops to jump through with the federal government to research marijuana, something that's practically legal in California right now where they're, where they're based. It's still more difficult to do research on marijuana than is even for MDMA or LSD. Well, I know people serving life sentences for selling marijuana. Unreal. And I know people in California, although it's almost legal, are currently inside of a federal prison serving sentences of five years or longer, despite them having a license from the state of California to sell medical marijuana. So there are certainly some controversial issues there. And I take it your position on the war on drugs is that we should do something differently. Could you describe for us what the Lions of Liberty's position is? On that. Well, Michael, at the end of the day, if I'm just going to come out and boldly state the true position, it's that all of these substances should be legal. And that doesn't mean all of these substances are good. It doesn't mean they're all substances people should take. But when I say they should be legal, what I mean is making someone a criminal and making someone a felon for possessing a substance is not helpful to society. And in fact, it's a violation of their rights. You know, to me, from the libertarian point of view, um, the only things that should be considered crimes are actual attacks on other people. And those attacks can include fraud. That is an attack on someone's property um, and that kind of thing. But ultimately, if you're not violating the rights of someone else, if you're not invading someone else's space, you are not a criminal and should not be considered a criminal. And you should not be considered a criminal merely for possessing marijuana, merely for possessing cocaine and that kind of thing. Um, it doesn't mean those things are good, once again. But when you have an illegal market, when you have a pure criminalization of this aspect, not only does it make criminals out of you know, anybody that happens to enjoy to use them for whatever reason, whether, whether it's medical use or whether they just like to get high on the weekend, hey, as long as you're not hurting anyone while, while doing it, you're not a criminal. Um, however, the war on drugs has another aspect to it where it creates this massive black market, this profit motive. And you know all about that, Michael, because you saw that profit motive when you dealt cocaine in your early 20s, which eventually found you in prison for 26 years. Um, if that profit motive wasn't there, I mean, if, if cocaine was just sold in small dosages uh, at CVS and it was and it was done in a, in a proper way and CVS doesn't want to get sued, CVS doesn't want to get sued for selling a kid cocaine. So, I, I mean, people will use that as a red herring. Oh, you just want cocaine sold at 7-Eleven so kids can use it. No, I don't think that's how it would actually play out in a, in a real market where you could actually 
hold people accountable and sue them for a bad product. Now, you can't sue your Coke dealer if you get bad cocaine in today's in today's society. You need you, you're just you're you're out of luck, or you're, maybe you're dead if you, if you got a bad product in that case. Uh, but it creates this black market where where you know when you have a black market, you can't go to court to resolve a dispute. Um, you, the violence is the only solution to resolve a dispute in the black market. That's why we see all this violence in Mexico. That's why we see all this violence in the inner cities in the United States. Most of it is over this black market. Everyone fighting over the right to deal cocaine or deal, you know, marijuana in certain, certain areas. But the fact is, these guys wouldn't be working at CVS selling cocaine or, or working at the pharmacy selling it if, if it wasn't for the black market created by the criminalization of these substances in the first place. So, the criminalization itself, it not only creates criminals out of the individuals, it creates this larger black market where that profit motive inspires all these people to, to flush into it and, and to get involved in the dealing of it. So in many ways, it perpetuates the dealing of these drugs even further than, they, than I believe they would be if they weren't criminalized. So a lot of the people who are listening to our program do have some challenges with the criminal justice system. And although we would love to uh, believe that there's going to be some type of a reform that could re- that could result in prison doors opening, I, I think that that's a, that's a bit further in the future. Perhaps you can give us some guidance from the libertarian perspective on what you would suggest those individuals do while they're incarcerated to prepare themselves to live as law-abiding American citizens so that when they come out, they can transition into the labor market, into the job market. Do you have any guidance? for somebody maybe listening that would like to hear that from a, a political leader like yourself? Well, that's a tough one for me, Michael, because that, that's really more of your area. But, I mean, my real guidance and, and you know, hearing your story is so inspiring because, you know, sometimes I feel frustrated with life. Sometimes I feel frustrated that I'm not accomplishing, you know, all the things I think I need to accomplish. And then I read your story and I read about how much you accomplished from the confines of a prison cell. So, I mean, it is really inspiring to me that just knowing that you did what you did and have continued a successful life after 26 years in prison. I hope anybody hearing this right now is is mostly inspired by you, to be honest. But um, what I would say to people that are in prison, maybe even for a drug crime right now, is is to A, follow Michael Santos' lead and try to make yourself a better person. Try to prove everybody wrong. Try to prove that just the fact that you sold or have drugs or what have you doesn't doesn't make you a terrible person. It doesn't make you somebody worthy of living in a cage for the rest of your life or for however, whatever arbitrary a sentence was issued to you. I think the most important thing is to kind of do what Michael Santos did to prove that you're a good person, to prove you're not a criminal, to prove you don't hurt people as you never have, Michael, to prove you're not out there trying to destroy society. You might have made a mistake. You might have broken the law. Um, you know, but you're not a terrible person. And if you see injustice in the laws that got you there, uh, if you, if you see the injustice there, I think that's what you should become outspoken about. Now, obviously, you know, maybe if you're in prison, it might be difficult to be outspoken about drug laws. I, I don't know if the warden or the guards are really going to care what you say, but if you, if you have a way to communicate with the outside world and have them see that you're a real person, that you're a good person, and you're being held behind bars because of these laws, I think that kind of thing can can really even further help people see the injustice in the laws in the first place and hopefully change the system. Well, I really want to thank you, Mark Clare, and the Lions of Liberty for for taking the interest in the Earning Freedom Network. We are all about inspiring people who are facing challenges, whether it is imprisonment behind bars and inside of a cage, or it's imprisonment because of some type of reversal in their life who are out here struggling and making it difficult. One of the lessons and the takeaway that I learned from you is that when we see a problem in the world, we don't just complain about it. We don't just pull the covers over our head and say, God, things are bad and complain and complain and complain. We take 
take action. One of the other lessons that I take away from you that I would suggest that our listeners take away is that by developing our communication skills, we can become persuasive. And we've always heard the cliche that the pen is mightier than the sword. More effectively, you can use communication skills, the more effective you can become in changing the outcomes of your life and the life as you exist today. So I really want to thank you. I want to thank your entire tribe at the Lions of Liberty for supporting the Earning Freedom Network. And I really want to encourage you to continue fighting for liberty for the entire United States of America. Thank you for being a part of the Earning Freedom Network. May I have the last word from you, Mark Clare? Absolutely, Michael. My last word would just be that, you know, wherever your political views might come from, uh, whatever you you think right and wrong is, I would ask you, everybody out there, to be open to re-examining that and and re-examining the specific, you know, breakdown of what you think laws should or shouldn't be. And I, I think that at the end of the day, a faulty examination of that by most people in our society. And look, we've been propagandized by, in many ways. Uh, the media is very pro-war on drugs, despite the shifting of public opinion. Our institutions are very corrupt. There are very powerful lobbyists, as we discussed on our show, that have a vested interest in a, in a high prisoner population and keeping people coming back to prison. So, you know, my final word out there is for people to re-examine the laws, re-examine what you think a criminal is, uh, re- and, and and to think about that, and if you are someone who is like Michael Sandoz, who is facing, uh, you know, facing prison or is in prison even right now, you know, I think the best thing you can all do is not just speak out, but also improve yourself as a better person. Because I mean, that that's what's so inspiring to me about your story, Michael, is how you, you know, you really looked at yourself and decided to make yourself a better first person and to not be a victim. And and you know what? If you might want to be outspoken, and you might want to help other people. That's great. But the first thing you got to do is fix yourself. And, you know, I couldn't do what I'm doing if I didn't have my own mental house in order, if I didn't have my own physical house in order. I know that's something you really focused on in prison was your physical health as well as your mental well-being. And I, I think that's step one for absolutely everybody. So I, I think that's something everyone should focus on. And, you know, once you do that, I think it's also very important to be outspoken. And if you see injustice in the world, please don't be silent about it, because the only reason the injustice is allowed to prosper is because people are silent about it, because they don't decide to speak out. And if enough people speak out, believe Believe you me, we will see change in the world. We're seeing it right now. We're seeing it all the time. Uh, we might not always see it on the surface, but the world is changing every single day. People's beliefs are changing every single day. We are not robots. Uh, we are not going to stay how how we are programmed, but whether it's programmed by our parents, programmed by the media, programmed by public schools. We have the ability to always change our views and change the way we look at things. And I think that's the most important thing that I, I would encourage people to always do. It's Mark Clare, Lions of Liberty. I encourage you to visit his website, subscribe to his podcast on iTunes. I will have full show notes uh, accompanying this at michaelsantos.com. Thank you so much for sharing your story with the Earning Freedom Network. That's all for today. We will talk tomorrow. I'm Michael Santos, your host. Thank you. Hey guys, Mark Clare here, lionsofliberty.com, where we strive to advance the ideas of liberty daily. We bring you The Morning Roar. That's right. Every Monday to Friday, we'll have a brand new edition of The Morning Roar, where we provide a roundup of some news stories that you may not find in the mainstream media or even in your typical social media news feed. 
We find stories that relate to the ideas of liberty and provide you with our liberty perspective on them. We wrap it all up every Friday with Felony Friday, where our own John Odermatt goes out and takes a look at some sort of felony. There's felonies committed every day, you know, whether it's a felony committed by the police, a politician, or even an average citizen. You can find all of this and so much more over at lionsofliberty.com, advancing the ideas of liberty daily. Now, until last year, I was just like you guys. I saw my health insurance cost double and my deductible skyrocket thanks to the Obamacare health insurance mandates. Determined not to participate in this corporatist scheme, I sought an alternative and found out about health sharing, a fantastic concept in which your monthly fees go directly to pay the medical bills of others, not into the pockets of some crony capitalist fat cat. Health Excellence Select combines health sharing with a patient care personal assistant, 24-7 phone access to board-certified physicians, and discounts on dental, vision, and other benefits. The best part is that for most people, plans with Health Excellence Select are much more affordable than Obamacare insurance, and it meets the legal mandate, so you will not be fined for using it in lieu of insurance. That's Health Excellence Select. For more information, head over to lionsofliberty.com health. Guys, I can't say enough good things about Michael Santos. I hope you enjoyed Hearing him interview me, it's not very often I get interviewed. I spend most of my time sitting here in the Lions of Liberty Studios conducting interviews for you guys to hear. So it was nice to have the tables turned a little bit. I do highly recommend checking out his work, checking out Michael Santos, checking out the Earning Freedom podcast. I will, of course, link to all this stuff in the show notes over at lionsofliberty.com. And if you are a fan of the show or if you're someone that just found us recently, perhaps through someone like Michael Santos... I encourage you to come on by. Check out our social media. We're over on Facebook, facebook.com slash Lions of Liberty. We've got a great new forum there, the Lions of Liberty Forum. You can join in to join the conversation, talk to our contributors, discuss our articles, give us input on the podcast. If you want to contact me directly, mark, M-A-R-C, at lionsofliberty.com with any suggestions or notes or guests you'd like to hear from, anything at all, even hate mail. Yes, you can even send me hate mail. That's okay. I don't think I'll be too offended. I actually kind of like it. It's, it's, it's nice to know you're firing people up out there. But no, I'm not about hate. I'm about love, man. And I want it. Wow. Is there anything more hippie ever said than that? I'm just about love, man. But it's true. I love people. I love the world. And I don't want to see people's rights violated. And that's why I do what I do. That's why all of myself and my fellow Lions of Liberty do what we do every single day. Trust me, we're not making a profit off this thing. We're not making millions of dollars. We're just doing this because we see injustice in the world and we want to help right some of the wrongs we see. And that's why we do what we do to bring attention to a lot of these issues, as I discussed with Michael Santos on the Earning Freedom podcast. Now, this coming Thursday, we will have the second edition of our newest feature here on the Lions of Liberty podcast. Rand Paul Wesses. And Minuses. Rand, Paul Lusses, and Minuses. That's right. Tomorrow, you're hearing this show on a Monday. We now release a show on Monday and Thursday instead of Tuesday and Thursday, as we did previously. But tomorrow, April 7th, if you're listening today, is the day that Rand Paul is expected to announce for president. So shortly after that, we will record the newest edition of Rand Paul Lusses and Minuses with Brian McWilliams, where we discuss anything and everything Rand Paul. And obviously, there's going to be a lot of buzz going on about his campaign if he does indeed announce for president as expected. Hope to hear from you guys then, or I guess you guys will be hearing from us then. And until this Thursday, folks, live long!
long and live free.